0: Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us how God worked gently with Adam and Eve to bring them along in his plan of mercy. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's some highlights from this week's study in Genesis. Then
1: the verse likewise doesn't say that we are in the light. It says we are light. Like the Lord Jesus said, you are the light. The verse does not say that we were in darkness. We were. The verse says we were darkness. Adam and Eve. Oh, they hit the bottom. Because they looked at their hope. They thought he was going to be a Messiah. It was all shattered when they saw his behavior. And they realized he's not the Messiah at all. So what happens? A great depression.
0: Now here's Tom Canters. We finish our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday Genesis series study.
1: We are all described as the seed of the devil in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all born that way. We are children of the devil. We're the seed of the devil, but we've been given by God and thank God the opportunity to change, repent, and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we do that, then he gives the power, to change seed ships and become children of God. You know, God could have said to Adam and Eve, all right, I promised you that I would send the seed of the woman. I didn't promise it would be your firstborn. As a matter of fact, I told you there was going to be this other seed, but you chose not to listen, and you named your secondborn perishing, which was a message to me. I heard it. And then you, you get, and so you give up with me? Well, I give up with you. Well, that's not God. That's not what God did, and that's not who God is. God did not. He remained silent in great patience. God, when He brought to Jeremiah a prophecy of judgments, a message for the Jewish people in Jerusalem and especially for the king, wanting him to repent, and He brought this prophecy of judgments, what well was going to happen. And what happened there is that God carefully told Jeremiah all these words, this prophecy. And Jeremiah carefully dictated them to his secretary, Baruch. And Baruch carefully wrote them all down on a scroll and rolled up the scroll. And when the king heard about the scroll and all the words in it, he asked to hear it. So they they brought the scroll in and and he read it and he was sitting in front of a fireplace and he had a penknife and and he said, bring it to me and the servants of the king pleaded with him, don't destroy the scroll. But he cut it up with the penknife and threw it in the fire. Now, that was a real oh no moment. You know, what are we going to do? Because God carefully told Jeremiah, and Jeremiah carefully dictated, and Baruch carefully wrote it, and all that. And one sweeping motion, it's all gone. It's all gone. You ever had that happen to you if you feel that way? There were two of these lessons which got accidentally erased. And uh, I felt a little bit like that. (laughs) And so, you ever been typing something on a word on your computer and you accidentally deleted it and there was no way to recover it? that ever happened to any of you? You get that dizzy feeling as it sort of like sets in. Oh, it's gone. Oh, your hours of work, it's gone. (laughs) You know, you ever had that happen? And well, that's what Jeremiah felt. You know, and Baruch too. It's hard to write all those Hebrew letters and everything. So, but it says in Jeremiah 36, 27, 28. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. After that, the king had burned the roll, and the words which Baruch wrote at the mouth of Jeremiah, saying, Take thee again, there's the word, take thee again, another roll, and write it in all the former words which were in the first roll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, hath burned. That's what's so great about God. He's the God of the again. He said, we'll do it again. So God didn't say, you shouldn't have given him the whole thing. Why didn't you give us the cliff notes or, you know, a copy or something like that? What's the matter with you? you know? He didn't say that. God said, it's all right. I understand. We will write it again. We'll do it again. And I love the way it says about the second one in Jeremiah 36, 32. Then took Jeremiah another roll and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah. And he wrote, who wrote Aaron, all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And there were (laughs) added besides unto them many like words. So it even got bigger and better. You know, that's what God says. We'll make it better. We'll make the second version better. In fact, when you look back on it, you'll say, well, the second one was better. So I retaped two of these lessons. Instead of 42 minutes, they became an hour. So, <laughs> because I want to be like Jeremiah, right? No. So, you know, that was a great thing. He says, "I'm not sorry all the work got cut up and burned in the fire." You just call that the first draft. God says, because all things work together for God. all things. Even that penknife, the uh, the fireplace, all angry king, all of those things work together to make it even better. That's God. Exodus 32, one of the darkest chapters in the Jewish people's history. You want to remember it? Genesis 32 is one of the brightest chapters when Jacob gets his name of Israel. But Exodus 32 is another story. And as wonderful as Genesis 32 is, Exodus 32 is terrible. Moses is on Mount Sinai. He's getting the law of God with the two tables of stone. They're written with the finger of God. How wonderful. The people get impatient. They corral Aaron into being an accomplice of making a golden calf idol. They worship the idol. Moses comes down off the mountain and it says in Exodus thirty-two nineteen, 19, he came to pass as soon as he came nigh into the camp, he saw the calf and dancing and Moses' anger waxed hot and he cast the tables out of his hand and brake them beneath the mount. Moses asked his brother Aaron, how did this calf get made? And Aaron says to him in verse 24, I don't know. He says, <laughs> I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, and I put it in the fire, and out came the calf. <laughs> so Moses got a lot of problems. Poor Moses. Anyway, that was a tough day. 3,000 people were killed, slaughtered. God sent a plague. It was a bad day for Israel. Genesis 33, next chapter. It's really wonderful. It's Moses retreating to God. It's a wonderful, some of the most wonderful things that God ever said to man in the next chapter, chapter 33. It was almost as if God saying, as terrible as Genesis 32 is, I'm going to make 33 fantastic, because that's what I do. Anyway, but the end of it all, when it's all done, Moses looks at the broken pieces of the tables of stone that were the law of God, you know, written with the finger of God, and I don't know anything else in the Bible that was written with the finger of God, and says to himself, that was the precious gift from God. What did I do? I just broke, the, I broke this, the, these, these two tables. It took a long time to make the blank tables. And then he writes it with his finger. And I just smash it in here. And I'm sitting here. It was very easy for Moses to get very depressed. You know, he says, you know, my problem is I have such a bad temper. It got him in trouble. It was most tragic, one of the most tragic things in the Bible. Is It kept him out of the promised land because of that. But in that state... God sees Moses, and God says to Moses in Exodus thirty-four, one, in the next chapter, and the Lord said unto Moses, "Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I'll write upon these tables, these tables, the words which were in the first tables, and in case we forgot, he, he adds then, which thou breakest." <laughs> so, he, God did not say to Moses, "Why didn't you protect the tables?" He says, he, didn't, he says, you had no business breaking the tables. I went to a lot of trouble to write the law with my finger and everything. And what's the matter with you, Moses? Now you go out there and sweep up those broken pieces and put them in front of you until you learn your lesson. He didn't do that. That's not what God did. What God did is he said, Moses, it's all right. It's all right. Get rid of the broken pieces. Forget about it. Don't try to glue them back together. He says, we'll make new ones. And he made new ones. That's our God that's so wonderful. We go about breaking a lot of things in life. And God says, I'll make you successful because I'm the God of the again. And to Jeremiah, God was saying, I'm the God of the again. We'll write it again. And to Adam and Eve, he was saying, I'm the God of the again. We'll give you more children again and you'll get the seed of the woman that'll live and not be murdered. And that's our God today. He's the God of again. And where we failed, even if a Jewish or a Gentile person, all his life has been a rebel against the Lord Jesus Christ, and still wants to make peace with them, and he feels so absolutely weak, God says, here's my outstretched arm, just grab a hold. That's what he says in Isaiah 27, five through six, and let him take hold of my strength, that he may make peace with me, and he shall make peace with me, and he shall cause them to come of Jacob to take root. Israel shall blossom and bud, and fill the face of the world with fruit. Thank God in Genesis 4, verses 2 and 25, and that word again. God was so patient with them that He did that. Now, in verse 1, it was all about Eve and all about Adam, and they just wanted the Messiah to come for them, but God said, I am going to build my church. And in verse 2, it was still about herself. All the hope was perished, and they didn't care about the seed part and God was going to build this church but as long as Adam and Eve stayed on these rocks of self-centeredness, they were not going to move on. So when you come to verse 25, a great change has happened. A great change, because now Adam knew his wife again. She bare a son, and she called his name Seth. She says, for God, all of a sudden it's God, said she, hath appointed me another seed. Now the seed part's important. The great change—it's all about what God's doing. It's all about God. It's all about His seed. He's continuing on His plan, and I get to be a part of it. He's building His church, and I get to be a part of it. And for all God's patience, He was waiting for Adam and Eve and patient to come around, and He changed them, Adam and Eve, because it says in Philippians two thirteen, and that's it took a while. But for Adam and Eve, it was true, for it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. His good pleasure, make a seed through which the Messiah will come. Your happiness will come when you're about his good pleasure. Hannah was a great woman, a great woman of God. And it says in 1 Samuel 1:5, the Lord had shut up her womb, she was infertile, she had no children. And Hannah so dearly wanted a son. But there was a conflict between God and Hannah. Because Hannah was not putting God first in her life. She wanted the son. And so God had indicated to me at Scanner Bodies in my own testimony, this phrase has come to me, you take care of my business, I'll take care of your business. And in other words, you put God first, and we have that on our uh, desk of our upper managers. We have these bronze plaques. It says, the Lord Jesus Christ first. And Hannah had to say to God, God, I want you first. But she was saying, God, I want a son now. And you know what God said to Hannah? God says, you want a son now? I want a prophet now. And so we have this tug of war. I want a son first. God says, I want a prophet first. And so it goes back and forth, son first, prophet first, son first, prophet first. And this tug of war, and this was going on, and it so was ripping her apart, that finally, in 1 Samuel 1.11, she surrenders. And she gives in, and she says to God, you win. Here's my white flag of surrender. I'm throwing down now the weapons of my warfare And she says these words, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou will indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give me, give unto thine handmaid a man child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life and there shall no razor come upon his head. And you know what she said? She said, you win, God first, prophet first. And then came that eventful day, when she followed through, and she took the boy, and she didn't have to do it, but she did it. And she brought the little boy Samuel to the temple, and she said to Eli the priest, for this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And it's so stirred up Eli, it says he worshipped the Lord. He was so challenged. And she walked away saying, God first now. And she found the peace and the happiness and the contentment when she said, God's interests first. And the next thing she did, beautiful prayer of release. And you'll find that in 2 Samuel 2, the first 10 verses there, when she rejoiced in God. Did Hannah lose a son? No because that says later on in 1st Samuel 220 through 21 Eli blessed Elkanah and his son and said the Lord give thee seed of this woman for the Lord and they went unto their own home and the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters and the child Samuel grew before the Lord not bad Hannah not bad you give up one son to God and you get 3 and two daughters later. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ said. There's nobody that's given up anything for the kingdom of God that hasn't gotten a hundred times more in this life and the one to come. What's the message for us? Take care of God's interests first. God says, I'll take care of your interests. I need a son now. God says, I need a prophet now. Whoever wins that argument determines what our ultimate joy and happiness and contentment and purpose in life is going to be. If we win the argument, we lose. If God wins the argument, we win. God was saying, I need a prophet now. I need a house now. God says, I need my house in heaven filled up with people, saved people, that you can win for me now. I need a wife now. God says, I need a bride of Christ right now that you can bring by your faithful witness. I need the safety and the comfort of living here in the U.S. now. And God says, I need foreign people to have safety and comfort of being saved through me building my church now. For Adam and Eve, I need a redeemer now. God says, I need a seed to build my church. For Hannah, it was, I need a son now. God said, I need a prophet now. For the Lord Jesus Christ in Gethsemane, he said, I need a life. And God said, I need a lamb. You get the life later, three days later. Let's pray. Lord, help us to be like Adam and Eve and Hannah, the Lord himself and say with them, God first, in Jesus' name,
0: amen. Tom, I wanted to bring up a letter from one of our listeners today and have you answered on air. She wrote in and really was excited about trying to reach some of the Jewish people that she's encountered in her daily life throughout business and throughout her town running her errands. Whether it was at the veterinarian hospital she ran into a, some Jewish veterinarians, or whether it was at the bagel shop with some of the Goldbergs, with the ba- running the bagel business, she was really just drawn to try to reach some of the Jewish people that she encountered while conducting business on a day to day basis, and really has a heart to reach them. And wrote into us to get some of the resources and supplies that we have available for reaching lost Jewish people. I think that's very important that we sometimes need to have something specific in reaching Jewish people. How encouraging it is this to hear this from this listener.
1: Yes, and God bless that woman for doing that and we could also add, you know, if we look back and say, why is that woman becoming aware of of the Jewish people that she's coming in contact with, whether it's a veterinarian or whether it's at the bagel store, it's because God has burdened that soul. God has directed that's the site of that yielded Christian to the Jewish people. Why do we say that? Because God is burdened for the Jewish people. When we look at Matthew 23, 37, and it says that the Lord Jesus Christ in the verse before it speaks about him coming into Jerusalem and that all the city was moved saying, who is this? It's very interesting because the city is saying, who is this? And then he goes to speak Speak of them, and the fact that they were saying, "Who is this?" shows their lostness. It shows when a Jewish person, if you ask them, "Who is the Lord Jesus Christ?" they really don't know. They will say something like, "Well, he was obviously a very influential man. He was a, a prophet. He he he, he was." A, but they have no idea of who he really is. Who is he? He's the Lord God. He's the Adonai. He's the God, the Son out of the Elohim Trinity Godhead. That's who he is. And so when they said in Matthew 21, 10, who is this? That when he heard that, that just emphasized to him their lostness. And it was with that question that he then responds by, We can imagine him stretching out his arms as almost like a a hen uh, trying to gather her chickens together as he cries out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her children under her wings, and ye would not. Now, this is very, very important for us to see because what's going on here is that when they said, who is this, it was like he was saying, oh, no, they're lost. And the mere fact that they ask who I am emphasizes the lostness. And so what happens is that as we as believers... As we, as his children, as we, as his people, as we, as his disciples, his followers, get closer and closer to the heart of God, you're going to hear the, "O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, because that's his statements. You're going to hear the lament where he's saying, the prophets that I sent to him, what did you do? You killed them. You stoned them. I sent them to you. And why did he send them to them? Because he wanted to gather them together as a hen does her children and uh, chickens. And what's the problem? The three words, you would not. So the point is, is that as we as believers get close to our Lord Jesus Christ, when we walk into the bagel shop and see the Goldbergs, God is going to tap us on the shoulder. He's going to say to him, that's them. That's the one who are saying, who is this? That's the one. You get close to me, you're going to hear me crying out for Mr. Goldberg. You're going to hear me crying out for the ones in the bagel shop. He does not. He would not. He never did nonchalantly walk into a bagel shop and saying, ah, they sell bagels. What's next? No, he is the one who stops and says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. So that's where the burden comes from. It comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, What to do? Praise God. And and God bless this dear woman because she is burdened for her veterinarian. She's burdened for the people in the bagel shop and so forth. And now the next question is what to do? We have first the heart. And by the way, that is the very most important thing is the heart, the heart to have the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ to see, as we've been trying to show here through the friendship with God, the revelation of God in his love for the Jewish people and what he did for the Jewish people and how he has not cast off the Jewish people and how he is waiting for the Jewish people and he is continuing to send to the Jewish people the prophets. And as he says, them which are sent unto thee, this, as we see this more and more, then God will burden us because he is burdened. Oh, to be like thee, Blessed Redeemer. That's our phrase. O to be like thee. When we say, oh, to be like thee, that means we'll be burdened for his people, for the Jewish people. So what do we do? We have written materials here, uh, how a Jew came to know and put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, how a Jew uh, came to understand this, how a Jew came to understand that. We've written these materials, which are written for the Jewish people, they're written from the Jewish people, by a Jewish person, from a Jewish perspective, in order to try to bridge the gap. But they are aids. They are tools. They are something that the most important, the most important part to a Jewish witness is your eyes. The most important part is your handshake. The most important part is the care and concern that is not put on, But it's not put on that you've put on, but it's been instilled in you by the Lord Jesus Christ, and it comes out naturally. It flows from you. It flows from your eyes. It flows from your concern on your face. It flows from the handshake. It flows from the way that you look with concern and that you realize that the Jewish people are going right down the middle of the road to destruction and it's all not necessary because he wants to gather them. And so you're there as God's persuader. You're there as sent by God. And you might give him one of these uh, booklets, how my testimony, for example, either in a DVD or in a booklet, but don't just give it to him and say, okay, now he's got it and he'll open it. But say, And read it and open it up and say, you know, I was thinking about this paragraph, and I want to know what you think about that. Can I return and ask you for your thoughts on that? Or there's a part in this, there's a story, Story in here about Simon Wasserman in this uh DVD. I would really like to hear your impression. That's really would mean a lot to me. Would you be so kind as to just listen to this and and, and I'll I'll come back and we can discuss that. See, it's using it because as I said, your eyes, your heart, your handshake is the God sending part. He's sending you. And we have the materials and we'll give them to you free of charge with pleasure, we'll give them to you. As many as you want. Look at them. Frequently asked questions by Jewish people. How does the history of Joseph describes what's going to happen to the Jewish people in the future? All these things. But read them yourself. And as you do, go to the Jewish people and seek to engage and say, I, I don't know. I am a believer, and but I would just like to hear your impression. It would mean a lot to me. You see, to treat them as individuals that you care for, that you understand, this individual, unless he comes to the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ will be lost forever in eternity and I don't want that to happen because God doesn't want that to happen and I understand that God has sent me to them he has made me aware of them he has burdened me for them and that's my that's my job is to bring the Lord Jesus Christ to them to bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ as the very best that I can so please do uh, avail yourself of what we have written you are the
0: ones who can carry the gospel to them Thank you for joining us today. Now, don't forget that today's message and previous messages are available for free listening and free download on all of our websites, friendshipwithgod.org and israelrestoration.org. There you can learn more about Tom Cantor and study more about friendship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, January is almost over. We want to offer you this month's resource, Understanding the Jewish Messiah, as seen in the life of Joseph. This is a great Tom Cantor book that you're going to want to read or study. You can find it available on our websites at our online stores, friendshipwithgod.org, or call us today at 1-800-247-3051. You can also call us if you'd like to receive a Tom Cantor DVD or testimony booklet. We've given out millions of copies of this to reach the lost, especially lost Jewish people. So if you know someone, call us today, 1-800-247-3051. So call us today, You can get a copy of this, Help Witness to a Lost Dying Person, especially a lost Jewish person that you may know, 1-800-247-3051. Thanks for listening, and join us again tomorrow at the same time.